Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Interjections Podcast, a subtitle we call The Undiscovered Decade. We look back in the 1990s, 30 years prior to the month we're in, and we look at what we could find as hidden gems in the month. Uh, we, we go through every film or most films that come out that month, and we try to figure out what we would like best and what people sort of left in the past. Uh, I'm sure uh, the four guys in this film might want to leave the events of this night in the past. Uh, there's a film that we watch called Judgment Night, and it stars four guys, uh, Emilio Estevez, Jeremy Piven, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Stephen Dorff, who end up getting into some trouble when they divert their trip on the way to a boxing match in Chicago into the ghetto and accidentally see a murder. Little story. Uh, this is also a sequel to Judgment Day. Terminator 2. <laughs> this, this is a side plot, I guess. Dennis Leary is actually a T-1000. I mean, he's relentless, so... It actually follows. You see, this is an alternate reality where Skynet doesn't exist, so this is what happens uh, around the corner from John Connor's uh, home on his birthday. You know, Dennis Leary would have been a good T2, or T-1000, I mean. Uh, it's just for... You mean Bill Hicks would have been? Worst situation. Oh, I was waiting for you to bring that up. I don't know if you guys know this. I only know this from like his, his Wikipedia page, but sure. uh, Dennis Leary apparently stole all the Bill Hicks bits. So yeah. we got to get through that real quick before we praise him. You can do scene by scene comparisons of their stand up, and yeah. it's almost verbatim. Yeah, I never knew that. No, okay. I liked them both. I didn't realize. I mean, I, mean, I still like Dennis Leary as an actor. I mean, but you see all these people. Went into acting. I guess so. I mean, I I don't know what to comment about that because I know that a ton of comedians just steal each other's bits. So, oh yeah, it that certain people get more popular off of them. So, like even uh, I think uh, Dave Chappelle he mentions uh in one of his uh shows that like uh when he was when he was starting out as a comedian when he was a kid uh he foolishly sold one of his jokes for like. I don't know, 50 bucks or mm. five bucks or some crap like that. So like even crap like that, like uh, some comedians lend or sell their jokes to other people. Yeah. I've heard a lot of uh, mischief going on with Louis CK. Right. About stealing jokes. Oh, um, I mean, uh... Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess Dennis Leary uh, is fitting as a villain here then, eh? Well, he played a revolutionary a couple of months ago in Demolition Man, so... Oh, yeah? Yeah, that was the same year as this. Another thing. Oh, nice! Still, but... Why didn't we see that movie? Just for fun. And what not what for month was Demolition Man? Yeah, we should, we should watch uh, it. I think over the summer. Yeah, like July. July. That makes yeah, sense. That would be a summer movie. Yeah. Well, it's cool. cool. He's, he's up and coming, uh, whether or not he's on the shoulders of Bill Hicks. Right. Uh, oh, it's October. It's this month. This is oh. a big month for Dennis Leary. Oh, so I was wrong. I was going to bring it up. Okay. <laughs> oh, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Uh, silly, silly, man. I was going to say, like, I would remember you bringing that up in, like, your uh, monthly yeah. uh, other movies. Yeah, because yeah, this is a big year for uh, Stallone because Cliffhanger was earlier. 
That's what was in June or July. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was one of our poster boys. Yes. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So yeah, the the four guys uh, just happened. Well, Jeremy Piven's character is kind of a dick. Um, so he he has to go Born big and loud for this boxing match that they're going to see. And so he gets this caravan that they're going to drive into, an RV, and probably tailgate before the match. But like idiots, they don't think about the fact that they're in a city coming from the suburbs for anything. Any event is going to have traffic. And so they don't leave with enough time, and they have to divert. But when they divert, they think they ran someone over, and they find out that he was actually shot already. And they entangle themselves themselves within his business, and it turns out that he owed money to Dennis Leary because maybe he was skimming off the top while trying to pick up drug money. We never, we never clued in. Well, yeah, well, not Jeremy. Pitt. We're clued in the fact that, that, they, that the fact that Dennis Leary's character, uh, whether uh, he believes that the money was stolen or like. The money was actually stolen, so doesn't matter. You don't really know. All that matters is at the end of it, like somebody dies, and they all saw it. So now they're the rest of the movie is them being chased. So, I uh, love all in one night. No witnesses. Movies. Yeah, I love all in one night movies too. Yeah. Um, what's the one we watched with Jeff Goldblum? Uh, uh, Into the night with Into uh, the night directed by uh, John Landis. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like a bunch of after hours is another one. Yeah, it's just a bunch of incidents. The first one's all in LA. The latter is in New York. So it's kind of cool to see Chicago a little bit. I don't really go into any landmarks, but yeah, that's true. It is kind of it, it is an intense cat and mouse game. They also do something smart to skirt the um potential uh racism of the situation by having Dennis Leary be the ringleader and not just some random African American actor. Mm. Because they, they could have made this really horribly racist and pejorative but by casting him now in that role it doesn't paint chicago as completely um whitewashed Mm. at least yeah um what did you think i remember you bringing something up in the middle of the movie jimmy trying to get you to say it rather than me oh man (laughs) We really got to make me like write 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 notes down when it I was say crap like that. About about halfway through, yeah, Jimmy's stream of consciousness. About about halfway through, he's like, "Are they corrupt cops?" Because oh yeah, no, no, I feel like I I kind of like was guessing because like uh because you don't think they live there, but yeah, but like uh my my guess I guess I was guessing at that because like uh earlier like they were trying to like they were trying to chase down cops uh, a cop car to get basically 911 help because they saw a cop car like hey but they missed it um and the way that they were acting like are these actually corrupt cops is this like a dea guy that's just like you know one of his like informants was like stealing from him so he's like hey hey." um but then it turns out that was not the case that could have been you have have a track record of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh the last one that we watched with bruce willis Oh yeah, that is what striking distance is that great. is what striking distance is about. Yeah, I think there was at least one other one. one yeah, with the, what's his face, Harvey Keitel, a little bit. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I mean that it's, it's very plausible as a plot. So I'm actually kind of glad it's just a bad crime lord that's not very good at his job. His, 
four good guys in a bad situation. Four, but you you know a you know a story's not going to go well when the synopsis begins with four pals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all kind of dicks to each other too. I like that dynamic. I mean, I'll tell you what, Milo doesn't like his own brother, who's Stephen Dorff. Well, they they also they they set it up. They're all they're all their own archetypes. Like Jeremy Piven is the the dick negotiator. Who's just like he, he? They're setting him up to try to negotiate with everyone later on. Yeah. Emilio Estevez is the, you know, the guy who used to be adventurous, but now is like a family man. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got to go through his arc. You got Cuba Gooding Jr. as just the hothead friend, and Stephen Dorff as the ne'er do well brother, hothead younger brother, but just like yeah. you know what he's doing. So he's like the neutral character really and it's more about like his journey and everything as well i said this uh i think like two years ago there was a movie we had four main characters you can always apply something to the teenage mutant ninja turtles so you know if the conversation one the hothead the techie and the young one i think if, if you think get a little uh psychological with it uh i think the younger brother like you could say he like represents um their their past youth their missed opportunities well he seems uh, he seems freer but they're all like oh he's but like he he, he, but he also he's also the type of person that he's not really living a life he's not pursuing anything he's kind of he kind of is a bit of a deadbeat but like uh he he represents like i guess their unfulfilled youth and like how like uh they're all of them are adults now and they're at most of them are acting like kids still Mm -hmm. except for uh um our lead who's mm. a family man now, but like his wife worries that he will like, you know, revert back when he's out with his buddies. Cause that, that was an issue that he does like uh, in the beginning when they introduce it, them uh, she, she was worried that he would do that because he has reverted back to his old self a few times before. And he was like, no, 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 not this time. Yeah. Uh, so that was a good setup scene. It's yeah. weird. It's almost like a Charlie Sheen role more so than Emilio Estevez. Mm-hmm. He reverts back to Charlie. It's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde. It yeah. is fun to hear his voice. Sometimes he sounds like Martin. Sometimes he sounds like Charlie. Sometimes he does sound unique. Yeah. Like he's a, a, a merging of all three of them. Yeah. Imagine this is a sequel to The Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Mm. yeah this is what Coach Bombay was doing before he got right. This is why he's in jail. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, Stephen Hopkins did an amazing job directing this. There's a lot of it's very stylish. Hmm. Last sweeping. Wait, tables. Stephen Hawkins, the, Hop- the Hopkins. Oh, I was gonna say like like the scientist. Like now wow. he had just um imagine imagine. <laughs> he, interestingly enough, he had just previously done uh, Predator Two, and Alan Silvestri was the composer for that. So if you listen closely, a lot of the Predator Two uh, soundtrack is on this soundtrack. A man we just sort of met, Jeff and I. Was that right? Yeah, I think I don't remember if I told you this, but last month we saw the Back to the Future musical. Oh, okay, yeah, debuted on Broadway, and we through friends know one of the actors, and so we sort of got a back backstage tour. And as we were coming in, Alan Silvestri was coming out. So, unfortunately, we hadn't seen this yet, so we couldn't say, "Hey, we loved the music of Judgment Night." But we also watched Back to the Future Part Three. But it did. For yeah. this podcast, so we could have said that. I mean, he's done other things. Yeah, he's done a million things. <clears throat> yeah, I could, I could hear definitely hear that in the 
the score. I was like, oh hey, yeah, recognize those riffs. Mm-hmm. The uh, soundtrack is actually one of the most popular from the '90s. I had sort of heard this through the grapevine since I hadn't seen this back in the day or really until now. Um, but it's it's sort of a merging of hip hop and rock, which led to a lot of um, fusion albums like Spawn, which was rap and hip hop. All right, well, so it was pretty cool that they did that. Um, yeah. It ends up being a very dynamic uh, grouping of songs. Um, that opening montage when they're showing the suburbs with um i'm blanking on the name of the song but it's it's very uh mood setting for what's coming later you know trying to recapture your youth getting caught up in a misadventure that is way over your head speaking of going over your head <laughs> so i like i don't know did you guys like the soundtrack okay. yeah, it's pretty good man. <clears throat> jimmy and i, I actually uh listened to it after we watched the film so I like the soundtrack. Oh, was Cinematography was also gorgeous too, for for what it was. I was just like, oh, I was not expecting this sort of a lot of, of crane shots. Right, the stylisticness. Yeah, a lot of like when you first see Dennis Leary's character, like he's all in silhouette until the flash of the gun goes off, and that's when you see his face for the first time. I was like, holy shit! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, this movie looks like it was probably storyboarded way in advance because there's a lot of like you said a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of sweeping shots a lot of dolly shots um a lot of oblique angles especially during the finale when uh they're teetering on the brink mm-hmm. i think anybody else that directed this it would have came off a little uh mundane or pedestrian but stephen hopkins brings a lot of his own um visual language to this they also, also use the set very well. I mean, the rooftop jump and that ending set piece, they, they utilize a, a, a grocery store pretty well, you, yeah. using the back, using the, I guess, upstairs very well, trying to get through some storage. So it, it they just are aware of their surroundings very well and utilize that to uh, as much tension as possible. So, and is, I is anybody of the four guys that we didn't like? I liked them all. I thought they all gave <laughs> Stephen Dorff came off a little. He seems a little too old to be the naive younger brother. That's the only thing. Just the the age of his character, his look. Yeah, he could have just that. been one of their yeah. peers oh. instead of being the younger brother. But they could be a year <laughs> younger. I mean, imagine <clears> like, <throat> you're only a year older than me, older than Jimmy, right. older than Jeff. So yeah. we could all be. You know, if, if Jeff were my younger brother, would you think he's that much younger? I know he's shaved, but... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he so, looks our age still. Right, right, exactly. It's weird, having watched this, and then if you watch Entourage later, it'd be like, is this a precursor to Ari? Because right, this right. feels very much like an Ari type of role for Jeremy Piven. Yeah, Jeremy Piven was just born to play douchebags. You know? Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. But yeah. silver tongued scoundrels. Yes. Yeah. That's a that's a better word for it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <but> the, <laughs> um, it's interesting though, like there wasn't really a weak link in the cast at no. all. Um, Even the goons. It's interesting going back to the Emilio Estevez thing because he was 
apparently like way way not their first choice oh yeah um, they were desperate to like i was looking at the trivia and it's like they were at a point where John had to go the movie either had to go into production or they were gonna kill it so like they got to Emilio Estevez at some point down the bottom of the page and he's like okay I want four million dollars to do it and they're like fuck it fine <laughs> all right so good for a, you Emilio like a ridiculous <clears throat> check out of it you need me more than I need you and and it's right and that's what it was it was it was just so it was good because like he he had that opportunity but that's kind of why it feels like you know he's more like charlie or he's more like someone because they had offered it to like tom cruise christian slater i see john travolta was the top choice yeah those all kind of make sense i could see them all in this role and then of course in the main villain role they offered it to kevin spacey and ray liotta Ray Liotta would have been great. Two Kevin Spacey would have made sense. Well, <clears throat> Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta was gearing up to do Karina Karina. He was trying to get out of being typecast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was another slightly more intense trivia bit, but slightly. Well, no. Apparently, there was an actual like gang-related shooting incident during production. Really? Oh. Interesting. Yeah, Fun. They heard like a random gunshot and ran downstairs and. There was a life imitating art. Like I guess that doesn't surprise me. His head blown off. Yeah. So they had to call in the, uh, the the authorities, and then the you know obviously moved the production to a different location. But it's like Jesus Christ. I wonder if that would be an interesting movie in its own right. The behind the scenes. Yeah, like it's someone dies scene. near the set of a film, mm. so they have to cover it up. So they can keep running the production. I mean, that's sort of what last shot is, or whatever that Matthew Broderick Alec Baldwin last was. shot. This is so last shot. Yeah. Isn't that the premise of that one show that you watched with Sarah and Darren? Yeah, it was like a reality show based on The Bachelor. Yeah, and, and people kept dying on set, so they kept covering it up so they could oh, keep running yeah. episodes <laughs> of The Bachelor. So <laughs> it's there; it already exists. Yeah, Sounds yeah. Amazing. I want to, I want to see it's called Unreal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There were uh, three seasons. There's a guy that um, kind of looks like you, Jeff, playing a gaffer. So we kept saying, like, "Oh man, we're glad that's not actually Jeff because he gets into some shit." So, yeah. Well, see. But yeah, the the gang stuff reminds me. Um, you you were talking, Corey, about how they could have gone a very uh, racially uncomfortable way, and yeah. I think the best set piece is when they go to that one apartment and the goons are confronted by the black community and Leary takes their leader aside and has a discussion to make sure that they're covered while they're there. And I think it's a a very nice, well-written conversation. Well, um, and uh, shows his diplomat, his diplomatic capabilities. Yeah. It builds his character. It doesn't show, I think any racist components and, it also sets up like what it's like to be on, say, the south side of Chicago compared to what these four guys are used to in their suburban life, especially while they're with <laughs> the two women in their apartment who are way more benevolent than I ever would be. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, especially given the circumstances. They were way Yeah, too, they shouldn't. Like, 
They should have gone out of the way to help them. In crappy Chicago. Yeah. They should have gotten rid of them real quick. Yeah. But they they should have been like, nah, honkies plus black guy. They yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> I kept thinking, like, they have a friend, Cuba Gooding Jr., so that they can get into these places so that people are disarmed that they're not just all four white guys. Right. But I don't know if that's just you or me thinking that. Because um, they never uh, pointed out. Before, but now I'm thinking. Yeah. I guess a scenario like that, the fear is when you're writing a script like this, you don't want it to come off contrived. Mm-hmm. Because obviously you got to keep it going. You can't have them all get caught within the first 10 minutes. Right. So you got to have a way of a race against the clock type element where they're all somehow ahead of their pursuers <coughs> against their own, <clears throat> using their own wits. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely think symbolically, the movie, if you look a little bit deeper, is definitely about the yuppie fear of the metropolis or the city. But they don't, they don't uh, lapidate you with that. They don't cram right. it down anything. Right, because it's also about the loss of youth. So it's kind of like, if you lived in the city, would you still be having a fun life? Or would you get into trouble like this if you right. went the wrong way? Because you're smart enough to not go these places, which place is better to live? So it's all kind of right. wrapped up in one big ball. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's the very story well, is you know. don't go out to have fun. Just stay home. Just watch a movie. Watch the boxing match from the comfort of your te- uh, couch. Yeah. Pay-per-view, everybody. Just pay-per-view and chill. He really should have just gotten the RV and they go park somewhere else. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But no, he was just like the whole, no, I'm going to do it. No, it's going to work. No, I got this. No, we're go- and that's, you yeah. know, his fatal flaw. is. Yeah. It's weird because I guess back then, <clears throat> Dennis Leary wasn't as well known, obviously, so I think if he had played that role nowadays, I might have been too distracted thinking he was going to riff in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But because he was relatively unknown, I didn't associate with him with being a comedian. I guess that's why Kevin Spacey might have fit, because he was about to have his real breakout role with Usual Suspects. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, What would you guys give this uh, as a grade? I'd give it an A+. Yeah, I would go A minus. Yeah, um, I think it's burnished. It's it's sleek. It's very well done. Um, and like I said, at uh, it's like a little over uh, 150 minutes, and it just flies by. Yeah. You mean an hour fifty? Hour fifty. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's it's like no, thing, it's not right? a Scorsese it film. Like nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd give it an A. I think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of the better films we've ever uh, covered. Yeah, it's a shame it didn't do well when it first came out. Well, yeah. it, it, apparently the the theory behind that was um, when it came out, there was I think like the weekend it premiered, there was a shooting related like around the screening or or near that, and so the mm. media blamed it on the film itself. Of course, and so it was oh. for after only two weeks. Mm. So. That's, That's why. why it left. Okay, because it did fine in the box office. It was like third or fourth, I think. I it opened at five. Okay, but it only fell to like sixth or seventh, so it was still in there, and then it's gone. Yeah. And that can happen when there's a lot of films coming out, which October is chock full of, but right. it's... As we'll get into. You know. Yeah. I think the shooting probably had more to do with it than anything else. So, yeah. that's too bad. Well, that's why we're talking about it now. 
as a hidden yeah. gem. That, that's show I business, baby. Give it an A. I think it was, um, because just you know it was well crafted. It was it was just a well well done movie. But also like, I like when the title refers to the plot on multiple levels. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the subplot has to do with their first judgments of people like the whole time whenever they go off the highway they're just like holy shit we're in the ghetto oh my god those guys are gonna shoot us oh my god mm-hmm. and it's all just yeah. like they're slowly you know proven wrong for the most part um until they come across the one guy they think they can reason with and then it's not yeah <clears throat> um and yeah i don't know i just i, I enjoy that and i'm glad that it was it was good. Yeah. So, as we mentioned earlier, Demolition Man came out this month, which is uh, Stallone's second sleeper hit this year. This almost was like a, a revitalization of his uh, career before uh, Copland came in and uh, reinvigorated his acting chops. But um, yeah. this is almost <clears throat> this is almost like a, a prescient uh, action satire. Which uh, predicted a lot of things that were going to happen in the future. Obviously, um, like uh, Zoom, like we're talking over now. There's mm. a lot of there's a lot of um, mm. <clears throat> telephone communication via screens and stuff like that. Um, uh, the health craze, the, like uh, um, yeah. running and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> at one point, uh, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Uh, propositions Stallone to have sex, but they're worried about skin-to-skin contact. So <clears throat> they use headsets in order to have uh, almost telepathic intercourse. Weird, but VR. Yeah. So yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I, it's one of those Stallone movies I think holds up better and better with each passing year. And obviously, um, the villain is played by Wesley Snipes, and this is one of his best roles. Nice. He's fantastic in the movie. Yeah. It's also the first time that uh, Sloan would team up with Rob Schneider. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Forgot about first that. First in the movie, he's not quite his sidekick, but he's just a side character. First of many? I mean, he's in uh, Judge Dredd. Oh, uh, that's too bad. Sidekick, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. But uh, has anybody else seen Demolition Man? Yep, right here. Many, 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 many times. There you really? Go. All right. Yes. Yeah. Too many, in fact. It's too oh, classic of a film, though. Everyone loves Demolition Man. Yeah. So. Too popular. Yeah. Um. So John Candy did a Disney live-action film called Cool Runnings. Oh, right. <laughs> about the the bobsledding team now, i know this is a beloved classic of our generation oh yeah i don't like I where this is going <clears throat> so in the last like year and a half so, the uh, there you go. so yeah it's probably more vivid in your memory than it is mine i remember enjoying it i mean it is fluff but it is enjoyable and obviously john candy has I mean, it's that good irresistible charm mm-hmm. that he brings to every role so but you don't um, like it? Is that what you were? I haven't. Saying? I haven't seen it in a while. Oh, okay. I remember enjoying it. Oh, okay. That you worried me by like. Uh, I know this is a beloved classic. 
no, no, no. But this is uh, John Turtletaub, who mm -hmm. I know you really liked from uh, While You're Sleeping. Mm -hmm. That's his next thing. And speaking yeah. of Sandra Bullock. Yeah. So he's really good at doing these like middle brow, lightweight comedies. It's a backhanded yeah. compliment. <laughs> they're not highbrow, are they? And they're not well, low While You Were Sleeping is a little uh, too technical in its execution of the plot. Yeah, you gotta suspend a lot of disbelief. Fair enough. But you're right. It's kind of like it's hard. They're crowd pleasers. Crowd pleasing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you like it, Jeff? Because it's fresh in your memory. I enjoyed it. Um I I can see why it was such a classic. It was just I don't see a lot of bobsledding movies is a thing. You're not right. That's a that's a sport that isn't really portrayed in the films. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was definitely a uh, an inspirational tale. Yeah, I gotta watch it finally. Rip from a headlines. Hey, come on, you got Disney Plus. Let's go for now. For now, they doubled their price. And that that's is. true. And Netflix about to do losing me November eighteenth. Oh man, so soon. Mm hmm. Anyway. Um, he's like so, moving on. Shortly after he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, unbeknownst to us, oh, uh, wow. Michael J. Fox was doing he's a lot of was doing a lot of cash grab films, and this was one of them. Uh, for the love of money, this is the thirtieth anniversary of his diagnosis. Uh, sure, it was around the time of Doc Hollywood, which was we covered last year, I believe. Yeah, that um, sucks. <clears throat> so this is actually um a rare foray of into a romantic comedy for Barry Sonnenfeld. Mm -hmm. And he, he obviously consciously restrains his very um, over-amped cinematography, which he's used in like um, Blood Simple and some of his own movies. Like Black, yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, you and I watched it, I remember, in a Netflix watch party a few years ago during the pandemic. R.I.P. Yeah. And, uh, well, that was like our actually, first thing we watched together. I remember it being pretty ingratiating. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I like and, it. And uh, Gabrielle Anwar is breathtaking as mm -hmm. the, the other romantic lead in this. Yeah, this um, could have been the other choice for us, but I think I really wanted to see Judgment Night. I think uh, Judgment Night ultimately is a better movie. I think we we made a good call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think this is a better film. They didn't make a good call. Than For Lover Money, but if, if you're interested in seeing a, a hidden gem of Michael J. Fox's career, this is definitely a good choice. Sure. So. Um. Malice came out this month, which is uh, one of the first scripts uh, adapted from Aaron Sorkin after like a few good men. Mm -hmm. um, it's a uh, medical thriller that has very a very labyrinthian plot. Uh, some of the some people might know because it's gone viral. There's um, there's a speech by Alec Baldwin who plays this very arrogant surgeon. To, who has a god complex? And oh, then, so not far from. So the there's a monologue that he gives about how he is God. Mm -hmm. Very Eric yeah. Sorkin, haughty, uh, narcissistic speech, which is you know the highlight of the film. Yeah. The movie <laughs> itself gets a little too convoluted in its uh, Hitchcockian mechanisms, but uh, overall it's decent. But again, uh, the plot becomes a little too. Uh, complicated for its own good. It's too bad. Yeah, that's the one uh, Aaron Sorkin thing I haven't seen. Well, I, I mean, it's worth looking at. 
for uh, obviously the dialogue. The dialogue cool. sparkles as in anything by Aaron Sorkin. Who else is in it? Is it Demi? Uh, <clears throat> it's uh, it's Bill Pullman, Nicole Kidman. Ah, uh, Nicole Kidman. There's another good reason to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Very sultry in the movie. Um, a movie Jeff might know about, giving his stage background, and Butterfly. Uh, David Cronenberg did a uh, adaptation of this uh, source material. Um, An interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. He, uh, John Long plays the. I don't like. Should I give anything away about the plot? Mm, why not? <clears throat> because um, it's about this uh, this French diplomat played by uh, Jeremy Irons who goes over to uh, China to um broker like relations and uh, he falls in love with this concubine who actually turns out to be a man it's played by john loan mm -hmm. um it i what i like about the cronenberg version is he leaves it ambiguous as to whether jeremy irons knew this the whole time or he's just eluding himself mm -hmm. <clears throat> um it's very impressionistic it's very dry as well it's very intellectual cerebral um it's a weird uh material for Cronenberg because it's not body horror which we usually associate with him. Mm. But uh overall so, uh, it's, a, it's a great uh springboard for Jeremy Irons. He did Dead Ringers, right? So Dead, Dead Ringers in my opinion is better. So this is a follow up they did together. So maybe it was something yeah. Irons wanted to do. So he yeah. got his maybe they're friends. Right. Does Jeff know anything about the play? Maybe you know, he knows. Yes. I've never I've never seen it or read it actually. So oh, I okay. knew I know about the going over to Asia to have relations or diplomatic relations, but I didn't know anything beyond that. So I, okay. I wonder if it's M Butterfly because maybe Madam Butterfly is more overt and this is changing the plot of Madam Butterfly to ambiguity. ambiguity. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to see. Um. Robert Altman did a uh, an omnibus anthology movie called Shortcuts. Hmm. Um, it's got Jack Lemmon, it's got Julianne Moore. It's all these uh, intersecting stories. It's almost like Pulp Fiction without the crime element. Um, yep. <clears throat> so it's a it's a slice of life movie. It's almost like um, something that Lawrence Kasdan was doing a lot back then. So it gets these big ensemble casts, and um, it's all very existential. But it's it's very good. It's very funny. Um, all the cast is given like really juicy roles. It's out in Criterion. If anybody wants to check it out, um, Nicholas Cage. We all love Nicholas Cage. Sometimes, supposedly, <clears throat> some yeah, sometimes. Um, sometimes he's consciously um, subdued. Sometimes he's given free reign to do whatever he wants. This was one of those times in Deadfall, which was directed mm. by his brother. Um, actually, Trissa and I talked to uh, one of the cast members at a Comic-Con, Michael Bean, about this. And he pretty much said that uh, Nicolas Cage was given free, free reign to do whatever he wanted with the script. And you can tell watching the movie. I mean, yeah. he's entertaining, but he's, he's going to the rafters in this one. Didn't uh, Bean say it was kind of aggravating and he didn't really want to talk about it? 
Yeah, in fact, he pointed to the booth next to him. He's like, this guy was supposed to be in it. And do you remember who was supposed to be in that booth next to him? Val, Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Yeah. So he kind of made it sound like he was coerced into doing it by his management team. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of Nicolas Cage, the movie's not good. And it's debatable to say whether he even gives a good performance, but in a tongue-in-cheek way, it's entertaining to watch. Um, other than that, it's a very uh, run-of-the-mill crime drama. Yeah. I remember this being on the short list of what we could do, but you were like, please, please don't do this. It's not. It's not... It's not a legitimately good movie. Yeah. I wanted to cover Nicolas Cage, but I think we're going to next year. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a movie that was uh, slated for a television premiere, but also got a theatrical release at the same time based on the accolades was Gettysburg. Yeah. So Ted Turner, I guess, had seen the final product and he was like, this is, this is good enough to go theatrical. And given the movie's runtime, I think it's about four hours, right? Mm, yeah, a little under. two nights, I believe, mm-hmm. on TBS. But um, <clears throat> it's a very comprehensive, expansive uh, overview of that battle. Yeah, and, it covers all three days, and <clears throat> yeah. after a little bit of the aftermath and a bit of the precursor stuff. Because you have, yeah, I can tell why he the land, and he knew it was going to be where the battle was, and that's the Sam Elliott character. I can see why he wanted to go theatrical because just. Based on the filmmaking alone, it's very sprawling. It doesn't feel like a TV film. Um, it feels very cinematic. And uh, honestly, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if some of these people had gotten nominated based on this, like Martin Sheen or even Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made... Um, oh, yeah. They're actually changing that area that Jeff Daniels' character, uh, Joshua Chamberlain, fought on, Little Round Top. Right. Um, they're currently expanding it because that's become over the last 30 years the most popular part of the battlefield so people come just to see that part for what was essentially the scene in this film right oh neato yeah and joshua chamberlain was not a household name or anything so it also the movie made him famous famous enough yeah yeah it's kind of interesting that like a hundred so odd years ago yeah the director um later The the director, F. Ronald Maxwell, has made almost a career out of uh, examining the Civil War because then years later he did Gods and Generals from the South's point of view, and it was not well received. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a third film that people barely heard about with Copperhead. Your old old buddy, uh, Billy Campbell. Yes. Um, And it's uh, such a low budget film. The guy's obviously a big Civil War buff and just wants to make Civil War films. Yeah. He wanted to make Jeff Shara's uh, trilogy that was about the Civil War. Yeah. No one, no because, one really cared after Gettysburg. Because <laughs> Gods and Generals well, did, did so poorly at the box office that never got made. So. Kind yeah. of a waste, this type of film <laughs> from existing. Wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Peter Weir did a movie about the uh, survivor's guilt called uh, Fearless. Mm. With um, <clears throat> Jeff Bridges giving an excellent performance as usual, yeah. it's uh, him and uh, Rosie Perez is they're on a flight that uh, crashes and they're the two survivors, and they kind of share this kinship because because of their experience. Um, the Jeff Bridges stuff is good. I think the Rosie Perez stuff is a little underwhelming, so mm. it's kind of lopsided yeah. in that regard. Yeah. But 
honestly, it's weird. It's like a precursor to uh, Unbreakable. I think actually oh. deals with this material a little bit better. True, it is more like. Enough. I was going to say it was kind of like that Dustin Hoffman film where he crashes in a plane and then he's kind of dick to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the opposite of hero. Yeah. So not like Castaway? I mean, they're all, they all have planes. Yeah. It's not, I guess in a way it's kind of like flight as well. Yeah. Um, although he didn't land the plane. Yeah. Um, so speaking of inspirational films, one movie that I remember being on constant rotation at uh, my school was Rudy, mm. which is um, the Notre Dame uh, movie about uh, a scrawny kid played by uh, Sean Astin, who dreams of being uh, on the football team at Notre Dame. Actually, there's a launching pad for a lot of uh, actors and writer-directors that we now know. Uh, as one of Vince Vaughn's early roles, and John Favreau, they actually met on the film. I didn't remember uh, Vince Vaughn being in it. That's yeah. cool. And I remember was, Favreau. Yeah, and now Favreau, obviously, in charge of the whole Star Wars television universe. Yeah. And he started the MCU. Uh, I think the movie's a little sappy for what it is, but I can see why people like it. I like fun. Rudy. Rudy's a good movie. Yeah. You've seen it, Jeff? Yeah, I only saw it in college, though. So mm. mm-hmm. Ironic. Yeah. I had already not decided to go to Notre Dame for football. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Must have been a hard decision. I know. What else came out this month? Over many years. All right, so the last movie is a, um, a movie that just got a re-release, um, actually. It's a... I guess a cult classic now, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, which everybody Ooh. associates with Tim Burton directing, but he was actually just a producer. Henry Selleck. Yeah. He, he was the creator of it, essentially. Right. He, like, he created the characters, but then the story and everything was. It's all Henry Selleck. Yeah. Who would later on go do uh, James and Giant Peach, uh, Coraline. Um, he's a great director. This movie, I think, is overrated, though. I, I've never been a fan. Kind of agree. I don't know. I actually, the first encounter I had with it was when I was six in December 93, or I guess seven by then. But we went to Disney, my parents and I. And the, you know, you'd have one of the tours or one of the rides was like a tour through the backstage area. So you could yeah. see people working on stuff. And they had the maquettes for Nightmare Before Christmas still up because it had just come out in theaters. So they mm. wanted to showcase what had been going on while they were animating. So they had desks off to the side and they had like what they were going to do for the stop motion tables and everything. So I was like, what is this? I had never heard of it. I had missed it coming out two months earlier. Right. Like nothing you want to see. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Devil worshipping. They didn't want to see it, so they had kind of had me ignore it mm, or covered yeah. it up for me. <laughs> so make it sound like a conspiracy. It was covered up for you. Well, ten years. I didn't later, see it until I was like, in college. And then ten years <laughs> later, we're just like, why is that weird movie my parents hated all over the <coughs> store that I'm at and the mall? Yeah, yeah. Because all why my friends were really like this movie. Yeah, I never got it. <laughs> I think it's well done. I've only seen it once. I have no desire to see it again. 
I think the musical numbers are very forgettable. Uh, I admire what they're doing. Actually, I feel like it's a little too defanged. I think they could have gone a little bit darker in a way. Yeah, probably. I Who think knows? Oogie Boogie. It's Oogie Boogie, right? The big ghost. Yeah. It's kind of a lazy version of the crocodile in Owl Dogs Go to Heaven. So uh, that brings us to Poster Boy. Ah. Hey. Oh, boy. Good time. Oh time for that fun stuff. There you go. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you can describe what's happening, but I'm not going to ask you any questions yet. I'm going to... Two, it's two kids standing in a white oh. void, clearly looking up at something. One yeah, of them what... looks like Jonathan Taylor Thomas, but is too young at this point. <laughs> what yeah. are they looking up at? Well, no, it's a fun the, bonus the for looking you. up. The kid is the, the boy is looking at, I'm uh, looking at us through the through the uh looking glass here. The fourth wall, fourth wall that's the one that's the word you were looking for. <laughs> Good morning, come on, you're a stage director, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> uh, so what are they uh either looking up at or annoyed at? Uh, nothing. Literally <laughs> right now, what what will I make appear? <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming the logo. That too, but uh or some sort of crazy you know magical animal that she wished for and he didn't. I like that. That's that's some good bonus points. I'll give you five for that. So I'm gonna give you the tagline, I believe, if I remember correctly. I guess I gotta, I gotta click on it. There you go. He's big, he's bad, he's in trouble. Oh my god, is this Kazam? No, Three years away from that. Really for Kazam, damn it. Yeah, you <laughs> might know this once I bring Kazam. the creature up, but... The okay. creature? Is it, is well, it he called it an free... animal. Right. Yeah. That was the is question. It, okay, it's another Free Willy thing, something with a crazy... Harry and the Hendersons. Uh... <laughs> Orca. Orca. Yeah. Um, was it was this released in theaters or was this yes. like oh yeah commercial? yeah we never do oh, we won't cover this if this is on tv yeah yeah, yeah. I don't know. well this there were there were a few straight to video videos that i remember distinctly loving true carnosaur was kind of not theatrical um, no that was theatrical Maggie's bad. barely okay so they find some monster sasquatch type thing <laughs> you're going a little off they bring home they bring him home as a pet and he's like hiding under lampshades and things right. to hide from the parents. I like this better. And for once, you... the younger brother is in the right. I like that. That's never happened in the 90s. All right, here you go. I'm going to give you what it is, but not the title and not the face of the creature. <laughs> oh my God. It's like an upside down action hero in a wrapped up in he's, he, he's getting it yeah. a little bit bro. you know uh, jimmy he's knows what this is because he watched me edit this photo but i dressed. think he would have uh, jimmy's probably seen the movie yeah it's conan the barbarian uh, who knows probably i know I've seen a lot I of it i think i know what this is i just can't think of the title yeah it's describe what like, you think it's about then sort of like a last action hero type situation 
where she wishes a doll would come to life. Yeah. And she comes and it's like a careful what you wish for situation and it becomes just this this ridiculous over the top just military. Very strike just ended and Jeff's just giving out gold, man. I know. This is great. I like this better than the movie. <laughs> yeah. So Honestly. is that Jean Claude Van Damme? That's what I was actually gonna ask. <laughs> Can you guess what? who this is? I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you two Dan more. Schwarzenegger or uh, who's the who's the Swedish guy from Rocky? Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. No, it's none <laughs> of the big ones. It was Lundgren a, in a kid's This movie. person was a bit of an action star in the early nineties, mm. but only did bad films. No, that's not true. Mm-hmm. He's got a cameo in a good movie. Okay. As he's got a cameo, he's got two cameos. In- is it is it Hulk Hogan? It is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good job. Hulk Hogan in a dress. So, what do you think the title of this would be, based My on giant. everything you've been given? My giant. Oh no, that's <laughs> later on. Yeah. Later. Hulkamania. The princess. And the pile driver. I don't know. Wow, that's a good title. Yeah, that's actually better. Um, there was a, a movie from the 80s where Michael Keaton. Oh no, gender roles are switched. He has to be the caretaker for the children. So then when Hulk Hogan has to switch gender roles, what do you think would happen? Is this Mr. Mom? No, but that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. I, he, he's not the dad. Yeah, you're not he getting it. Mr. Nanny. Do you remember yeah. Mr. Nanny? I don't. You might still be too young in 93 to, to know some of these films. I imagine you're really going to start getting them next well, year. I, you know, obviously, I remember seeing this poster hanging out of the blockbuster, but like. You probably remember if it actually did well and people talked about it. Yeah. Suburban Commando is a lot better. So, this is well, our second uh, well. Hulk Hogan. Actually, I've never seen either. I'm just assuming Suburban Commando is better based on the trailers that I had to watch in front of every VHS I rented. I remember that being in front of the Turtles VHS. Uh, Suburban Commando was definitely yeah. right. Yeah. And this was in front of, I think, Homer Bound. I, I was going to say, I don't remember seeing a trailer for this. but Yeah, every time I turned on Homer Bound. <clears throat> this used to be on HBO a lot. Yeah. God knows why. It's horrendous. These kids should be in jail. Well, you can guess the plot. Yeah. Wait, why should they be in jail? They try to kill him oh, cool. several times. Oh, cool. At one point, he's being electrocuted by <laughs> by these magnetized weights, and uh, the the one the boy's like, "Oh, don't worry, it's low watch. It won't it won't hurt him." And she's like, "Well, crank it up." Oh, oh okay. my god! These so kids are murderers. Yeah, I think I'm gonna watch this. Uh, so you did actually pretty well. Other than not getting the title, you got a lot of bonus points and, and the plot. I got half of it. I got Mr. Yeah. Caretaker person. I gave that to you. Uh, but you, uh, you, you had a better title. You had a better, um, plot, like the creature that they, or the doll that they wish for. I like that one. So. (laughs) Yeah. Um. It's like the toy. It was just like, it was just like Ted, but like. His movie. Yeah, like Gremlins. Ted was Ted. a balding blonde man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, make it, remake it now with Hulk Hogan. 
Um, yeah, brother. So I kind of hinted at this in our notes. I didn't know who we should cover for uh, picks of the month, but what are y'all thinking? Uh, we didn't do Cuba for uh, Boys in the Hood, so we could cover him. We could do Dennis Leary. I don't know that we'll have him come up again. So mm. I don't know if there's a lot to show. I know. And that could include TV shows. I got my pick for Dennis Leary oh, already. Dennis Leary. Are we doing Dennis Leary? I don't know. What do you guys think? We could do Emilio because I don't know that we'll ever have him again. He really doesn't oh, do much else after this. No. No, he does the two sequels to the Mighty Ducks, and then he has Mission Impossible. Well, there we go. We can see one of the uh, Mighty Duck movies. We're probably not going to. I'd say Emilio. Uh, Emilio? Dennis Leary, I don't think we have a lot to choose from, but now you said the TV thing. You know. We could, yeah. Yeah. Over. And I already have my pick for Dennis Leary. Like it's like, what do you right think, there. Ice Age for Dennis Leary. I haven't seen much for either of them, so. Uh huh. Do you want to just do Cuba then? <laughs> Cuba has a better filmography than either of them. Uh, what's no dog? <laughs> well, sure. So Cuba. We're doing Cuba. Yeah, why not? Or Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff, actually. No. no. Do you think he has a better filmography? No. <laughs> yeah, I think we should do Cuba. <clears throat> well, well, Cuba Gooding Jr. is going to be easy because uh, it's a movie we actually covered, Boys in the Hood. That's your pick? Yeah. Okay. Up until the 2000s, he had a decent career. He just tanked it with radio. And right after he got the Oscar, he got the Oscar curse kind of like Hillary Swank. Yeah. <clears throat> He definitely sunk into uh, straight to DVDs though, right when that was starting. So it could really also be his reputation for being kind of a skirt chaser. Outbreak. Outbreak. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know what Jimmy might pick. Well, what 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 might I pick? Pearl Harbor. Boat trip. <laughs> no, I'm not picking Pearl Harbor. No. Okay. Men of Honor. Oh, I know what. You 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 don't know, know me. I know what you Tristan's going to pick. I, well, I'm, I'm just pick. seeing if there's anything else before I go. I think you're going to pick decision. Rat Race. You don't know me. I don't like Rat Race. You don't? Oh, I thought you liked <laughs> Did I pick right? <laughs> Let me play. <laughs> God damn it, I give up. I was looking down the list like, yeah, Man of Honor. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> You can pick the film he's in now. I Hold on. I think this is maybe a, a better performance than the movie I'm about to pick. But for things that people don't uh, remember he was in, I was going to go with What Dreams <sighs> Become because I think that's an underrated That's a great movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the reason it's actually good. I don't know about that. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie's good. He plays the... Um, Son of Robin Williams. Not Dante. Who's the one that guides Dante through hell? Virgil. Virgil. He's the Virgil of what dreams may come. And I think it's a very poignant performance that people don't relate to him because he'd already won the Oscar. And then the movie did immediately after. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, usually people do stuff like Norbit after. Yeah. Oh, wait. But that sinks their chances beforehand. I got to change it. It's actually a mini series. Oh yeah. Oh, that's. I'm going, I'm going with the people versus OJ Simpson. He's very good in that. So, Men of Honor. Yeah. Okay, we got it. we got them all. Nice. Yeah. 
Good choice. Did we, though? Did we? Yeah. Did we make the right choice in who to pick? No. Next month, we're going to have our 50th episode. Did you know we made it this far? Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll say it's over here at more. By now? We're half a center. Yeah, we're half a century. We're going to get to like 115 or something like that. Um, but I we're think this director has done at least 50 movies. We're covering Clint Eastwood uh, and oh, what man. is essentially his underrated gem of the decade, mostly because this year he was overshadowed by In the Line of Fire. So he overshadowed himself. Uh, hmm. It's called A Perfect World, Smart. right? Uh, it stars Kevin Costner and Clint Eastwood, and it's a little bit of a tap Laura Dern. Too. So, oh, Laura Dern, I didn't know that. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have three cool people to choose from for that. Exactly. Uh, anyway, you all have a good uh, Halloween, and we'll see you next month for our 50th episode. <laughs>